So in last week's episode, part one, we covered WW, also known as Weight Watchers. We covered Noom, Whole30, and Paleo. So today, we're going to tackle part two. And we're going to talk about the low-carb diet and keto, Tom Brady's diet, and also the anti-inflammatory diet and how they impact your mental wellness. Yeah. Let's go ahead and jump in. I think we probably should start with low-carb. Yes. yes. Before we jump into keto. Yes. So, and I, you know, one of the things that makes it not hard to talk about low-carb, but and I don't know if people necessarily realize, is there's no specific definition for right. a low-carb diet. Right. You know, like low-carb can look very different, as in the case like with keto. Keto is a type of low-carb diet. It is a, of a, a type of very, very low-carb diet. But like, you know, technically low-carb could be less than 120 grams of carbs to one right. person. And to another person, it could be less than 50 grams of carbs. Right. You know? So, but generally, I think kind of what's accepted is it typically means less than 30% of your daily calories from carbohydrates, which when you break that down, like with a 2,000 calorie diet, that's less than 150 grams of carbohydrates, which is probably higher than what most people think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then a very low carb diet, which um, is, is kind of where keto falls. And we'll talk about that more when we get to keto is usually more about only five to 10% of calories from carbs. Right. And that is, that is very, very low. That's, you know, for some diets, that's getting down to no more than 15 grams of carbohydrates a day. Um, And I always, <clears throat> like to use the reference point that 15 grams is like one piece of bread. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It's not a lot. So, you know, from I think when we talk about low carb, it's maybe good to talk about one of the most widely known, which is Atkins. Yes. You kind of have they have three phases. They have have an induction or like phase 1 where you're you're the lowest carb you'll be and I think it's like 20 to 40 grams of net carbs. And when I say net carbs for those who aren't familiar, that's not a technically a scientific term, yeah. but net carbs means your total carbs minus the fiber grams because your body can't digest or get energy or calories from that fiber. So right. some people like to use the net carbs. Yes, because yeah. in essence, the fiber cancels out some of the grams. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And then so they'll do that for a few weeks, I believe. I can't remember the exact time frame. And then they'll move up to phase two, which is more like 80 to 150 grams of net carbs. And then they can move on to phase three maintenance if they want. But, um, you know, so for purposes of this, I would say kind of low carb means maybe 50 to 100 grams of net carbs would you say that's kind of a safe just in general talking about low carb diets or is a safe like is a safe range and then because we're when because then getting into very low carb is also like you said it borders on keto so yeah so just know that it varies but we're kind of talking about you know 50 or even maybe like 30 to 100 grams of net carbs per day as low carb cool part i i think about this particular episode is that there are some studies that look at these actual diets um, or what is, you know, the common denominator for this kind of diet, like you yeah. know, using low carb as an example, and its impact on mental wellness. Yes. Whereas in the last episode that we did, we didn't have 
any you know, any of that. We were really just looking at like diet structure. Now we're going to do a little bit of that in this episode, but it it is neat. Yeah. You know, yeah. to be able to well, have some like actual And science. I think a lot of it, when you're talking about carbs or ones that have kind of focused on restricting carbs, a lot of it comes from, because like when we were in school, I am a little bit older, but I'm assuming it was the same because you aren't that much younger than me, but um, it, it, low carb was like a bad word. Yeah. Like, it was horrible. That was the worst thing you could do for your health. And I think a lot of research started coming out of it because there were people like Dr. Atkins. And there were people, I remember one that was popular when I was in college was Sugar Busters. No, I remember that that one, yep. But there were people who were following these lower-carb plans, and they were having very positive health results. And I think that's what spurred research. And since we were... For the past 20 years, everything has totally shifted. Completely, yeah. Like, now, low-carb approaches to eating are often seen, though they're recommended as an option for people with diabetes, and they're often seen as a better choice. And, you know, they're just, they're not as vilified as they used to be because there can be some positive results. Now, as with all diets, it, te- it depends on how you approach it, with what foods yes. are in it. Yes, and, and this is absolutely one of those cases. But I think that when you think about cutting out carbs or, like, limiting them and your just your general, like, brain health, mental health, mm-hmm. right? So the, the theory, like, the line of thinking is that you don't want to cut is that carbs trigger that, you know, they trigger that reward system yeah. in your brain, right? And that releases dopamine. And so it, it does that, that is that... Um, feel good. Feel good kind of release, right, from getting carbs. And so the thinking is then you don't want to cut carbs out or limit them because you are then inhibiting this, like, feel good, you know, yeah. serotonin, dopamine, that and- kind of... And on a side note, I think that's why when we feel kind of down, we crave carbs because our brain is looking for a boost. And I even, um, I did some research in the past on looking like, you know, in the winter, when you tend to see more like seasonal depression, we tend to crave more comfort foods. Part of it may be cold weather, but I think also maybe that brain searching for it. Yeah. And it gives you that little like highlight, like lights up that little center and makes you happy. Makes me happy. I, I mean, yeah, I even just said, don't take away my sourdough bread. Right. Um, but so you would think that cutting carbs may potentially have some harmful effects right. on the brain, just the sheer fact of cutting carbs. Exactly. Exactly. The good news is that is not the case. Um, that, you know, when following a low carb diet, um, which, you know, has higher amounts of fat and protein, obviously, um, it's really not, it, it's not associated with an increased risk of some psychological conditions. So, yeah, the research that I looked at, and you looked at this more in depth than I did, but it's, they looked at people who'd lost weight on low carb diets and then other, other approaches. And it seemed to see there looked like there was no real difference in the psychological risk or effects. Right. With between the two approaches. Yeah, I that's what I saw and and I believe that one was uh like a review study mm-hmm, too mm-hmm. that looked that looked at different ones. There was a newer study um 
that was done overseas. And in this one, they looked at, they kind of like gave a low carb diet score to the different women in the study. And what they found was that, again, like there was really no difference in the different, like in they, and then they grouped them. They took the women mm-hmm. and they grouped them into different levels like based of Based on carbs. how many carbs they ate? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, based on like what they had reported. Okay. So it, they didn't like put them on a yeah. set diet. But anyway, so they looked, sorry, it was actually men and women. I just realized that. So it was men and women. And what they realized is that in the different groups, you know, low, medium, high, whatever you want mm-hmm. to call it, they found that there really wasn't any difference uh, that was statistically significant between depression, anxiety, and other, like, what they called psychological distress mm-hmm. based on their, like, low-carb diet score was, yeah. was what they did. So I thought that was neat because they, you know, they looked at specifically at low carb and they looked at different varying amounts of low carb Mm -hmm. and and again like if you think about that in reverse if you think about eating more carbs didn't make people happier either oh yeah so yeah um it wasn't like eating low carb just didn't make you depressed like there really wasn't a change in their scores well and then there's I think a lot of it, well, I think there's some positives that could come from low carb because you're usually not eating those processed, refined carbs that are so easy to grab. Right. And those are the ones that usually have a higher GI index, which is a um, glycemic um, impact or glycemic impact index number, which is a value they give food that kind of rates foods on how it affects your blood sugar. Like when you eat it, like how quickly does that carbohydrate, you know, increase your blood sugar? Because the the quicker it does, then it's going to cause a even more dramatic and quicker drop afterwards, which is when you get the low blood sugar. And then that can cause cravings and feelings of hunger, even though your body isn't really hungry. So, when on a low carb diet, you aren't really eating those foods and you tend to be eating more of the lower glycemic carb foods when you do like your vegetables and things. Right. And yes. you know, even whole grains yeah, are so, lower than compared to refined yeah. or So I think that could be one way where low carb or even lower carb is beneficial for mental wellness over a healthy regular carb diet if your choices are a lot of refined or processed foods or added sugars. Yes. There was a study that looked at, this one was the one that was in women, that looked at a high glycemic index diet. So women who had higher intake uh, or had a high glycemic index diet, they kind of categorized it that way, that they were more likely to have depression. And then they kind of drilled down and they looked at the quality even more of the like sources of carbohydrate, which is getting at exactly what you were just saying. And they found that when women had a higher intake of added sugars, that that increased their odds of depression. And then if they had more what they called non-whole refined grains, so like those would be your white carbs pretty much, um, that also was associated with an increased odds of depression. But on the reverse, 
if your carb quality, that's those are my words, like if mm-hmm. your carb quality was better, uh, so higher consumption of lactose, fiber, non-juiced fruit, so they pulled out like whole fruit, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, and vegetables, that was significantly associated with lower odds of incident depression. Yeah. So it's basically you can go low carb, but also your carb quality matters. Yeah. Well, but I think it's easier for when you are eating low carb for your carb quality to naturally be better. Low carb is not going to hinder your mental wellness. Yeah. And it may offer some benefit if you're choosing those healthier carbs when you do incorporate some. But again, you know, a lot of it goes to quality and that isn't just limited to the carbohydrates. That's also means the fat and the protein. Right. So those make up the rest of your calories. Exactly. And those also have direct links to mental wellness based on like what's in those, that fat and that protein. Exactly. So, you know, if you're gonna cut out one macronutrient, your macronutrients, your carbs, proteins, and fats, those are the ones that make up your calories. If you're gonna cut down on one like carbs, the other ones have to go up and typically what goes up, what primarily goes up with your low-carb diets is your protein. Right. Yeah. You know, fat isn't really necessarily the focus of low-carb. Unless you're careful and choosing very lean animal proteins, your saturated fat can get really high Right. when following a low-carb diet. Um, you know, and high intakes or higher intakes of saturated fat are associated with increased risk or increased associations with anxiety and depression and just poor mental health. Right. Right. And, but then again, like back at at quality, the unsaturated fats actually seem to be beneficial. Yes. You know, we're still very much as Americans, our brains are still very much trained as like protein comes predominantly from animals. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that is where you can, like you said, you can get a fair amount of, of saturated fat added into your diet when you're cutting out when you're cutting out carbs. Yeah. Well, and I think my big issue way back with Atkins, I think they've since kind of cleaned up the guidelines, or maybe I never read them fully. It may have been my fault. But, you know, there was the impression, like, you know, you could just go have bacon every day. And, you know, oh, really, yeah. you know, it needs to be lean proteins. It needs to be healthy fat sources. So I think a low-carb diet can be healthy, but you really have to work to get the plenty of fiber in from your vegetables, from your lower-carb vegetables, and your healthy fats in, and make smart protein choices. Right. Yeah. And, you know, don't be totally scared of good carbs. I think you think low-carb and you need to go as low as you can get, but usually whatever plan you're following is going to give you some parameters. So, you know, if you have room in there, add in some beans. You know, add in those higher-fiber Yes. You know, carbs and plant-based proteins in there, you know, that have a pretty low net carb value. You know, don't feel like you have to go, you know, it's not a contest to go as low as you can. Go within that window that they're giving you. Right, right. Yeah, lower is not always better. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, but let's go even lower for a second, though. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) To keto. I know it seems to have had a resurgence lately. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a big research. I feel like it's been building for a while, but I feel like the resurgence has just catapulted over the past year. Yeah. Yeah. And I, a part of me wonders if it's just because it's how people want to try losing weight. I don't know. know. I don't know. I can't figure out. But actually, keto is, has been around for, it's probably the oldest 
diet that we have um, because it was created, and I was thinking I had the date in here, and I don't think I do, but it was created, I want to say in the either late, let's see, it was developed in the 1920s because it was developed as a treatment for epilepsy. Right. So, you know, and then it'll, then it started popping up occasionally in the 70s and, you know, every decade it pop, it makes a little surface because people will try it for um, weight loss. Um, but, you know, it was developed for epilepsy because it, when you are following a keto diet, which we probably, I should probably back up because I'm jumping right into it, but a keto diet is a very, very low carb diet. It is typically five to 10% carbohydrate. And it is a predominantly fat-based diet. Right. A lot of people think, you know, you up your protein. Your protein stays about the same. Like, your protein's like 30 to 40%, 25 to 40%. Your It's predominantly fat, um, like 50 to 60, even to 70% fat, where your calories are coming from. Um, and when that happens, your body or your brain is forced to find an alternate fuel source because you don't have glucose from carbohydrates to use so it ends up making things called ketone bodies which you can break down in your brain and your brain can use for fuel and when that when your body is to the point that it's doing that you're said to be in a state of ketosis which we've all heard right but the state of ketosis triggers changes within the brain that you know we still are trying to figure out but that is kind of the mechanism for why it is um, it has been really a helpful treatment, sometimes life-changing for people with epilepsy because in a lot of people, it will stop seizures from occurring or greatly reduce them. Um, and it's, you know, from what I've read, it's the effects are much greater than what a lot of epilepsy medicines can do, can do. on their own, which I think, so I have been fascinated. It's so funny. I've had several younger dietitians who I've mentored in the past and you know, for, at some point, the keto diet always comes up. And, you know, I had one about a year ago say to me, um, we were working on some keto mini plans. And she said, okay, can I ask you something off the record? And she was like, what do you, I mean, what's your take on this? And I said, and, and this is, I still feel the same way. I couldn't follow keto. It, it's really, really hard. Yeah. But I cannot, just because of the research I've read in the past five to 10 years about keto and about just inflammation and brain health and cancer and stuff, I cannot rule keto out because it changes something in the brain chemistry. And that's why there's a lot of research now looking at it for like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Yeah. And then there's just other effects that you see with it because it is so extreme that have suggested that it could be really key for some, you know, some cancers, um, halting the growth of those and a lot of things. So I, it would be one that would be very, very hard for me to follow, Yep. but I cannot rule it out because it's almost like it's got this, it's just in this whole other category compared to other diets because of the changes in the brain chemistry. Well, and the thing too, is that like when, when I looked at the research on keto and mental health, mm -hmm. It's really, really limited, and you can't mm -hmm. say that it works. Right. But, that's a big but, I'm with you in that it does show promise. Like, I mean, even the authors of, of these studies are saying that it shows promise. Yeah. And there was an example of, like, a case study that was that was done, which is, I mean, that's like, we're talking about, like, preclinical research here, yeah. right? 
but it was very positive in in the case study. Um, and it also had some benefits for diabetes. And I know, yes. at least anecdotally, I know people who have diabetes have tried keto and have and have had a had success. Yeah. So before I really want to talk about like what a little bit about what yeah. it does in the brain, but before we get into that, I you know, I think that the hardest part like just to speak to the part where you said it, you know, it is extreme. It is an extreme diet and the hardest part is staying in ketosis. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's easy to go overboard and flip your body out of ketosis by overboard. I mean like going overboard with carbs. So the benefits are from staying in ketosis, not like having a binge day here with a bunch of carbs and then, right, you know, and then Monday morning going back to the keto diet and then Wednesday, you know, or thirsty Thursday going off the rails. Right. And then, it's like, different from others yes. in that respect too, because like there's no like, Oh, I fell off the wagon. Let's get back on. You can get back on, but you're not going to be in ketosis for about three to four days later. Right. Right. Um, so it, it takes some commitment. Yeah, it does. It takes commitment and consistency. But with that said, <laughs> it does show promise. And I like your approach of saying, like, let's just not rule it out yet. Yeah. We're not telling you to go out and do it and it's going to, you know, alleviate I'm not your mental it. illness. I mean, it, it would be yeah. very hard to follow. But, you know, for something to be powerful enough to change things in the brain to stop seizures, I just wonder, and there's some... Very preliminary research looking at positive effects that it may have in halting Alzheimer's or even preventing it. I I just, there's a lot of potential for it to have positive effects in the brain when it comes to mental wellness. Right. I feel like. Yeah, so I absolutely agree. And actually, we've seen some, in some of the research that you and I were looking at, we were able to see that they have looked at the effect of keto and some of the effects in your brain when it comes to mental wellness. Yeah, yeah. And one of those has to do with gut health. There is, it's very preliminary, but there was a, a study that suggests it causes pretty significant positive changes in those gut microbes in your gut, um, which, you know, back to season one in one of our first episodes we talked all about the gut and how powerful that right. is the gut brain access yes and um but um also there's more research to suggest that it increases something called GABA which is a neurotransmitter um that really plays a key role in helping us manage stress and anxiety and in mood and low levels are linked to uh, are associated with um, a higher likelihood of depression and anxiety and just mental health conditions. And studies have suggested that the keto diet can potentially increase those GABA levels. Yeah, yeah. Animal studies, but still. Let's, yeah. Let's take it. There's also some research to suggest, and this is kind of where I think some of the Alzheimer's research with keto jumps off from, um, you know, essentially they've realized that Alzheimer's is your brain has become insulin resistant almost. So your, your neurons can't use energy, the energy. Hmm. Um, yeah. 
And so in it, um, one of the, you know, so cutting back the carbs significantly and going to ketosis, you know, is going to reduce um, that insulin resistance um, throughout the body, but then also the brain. So in ketosis, there's the thought that your brain can actually use those ketone bodies for energy better than it could use previously because when it was insulin resistant and you're eating a regular diet. Um, so there's the, that thought there. And then there's some research to suggest that keto may reduce oxidative stress, um, particularly in the brain. And oxidative stress is when if you have an overabundance of free radicals and not enough oxidi- uh, antioxidants to keep up with that overabundance. And so the free radicals cause damage, which is referred to as oxidative stress. Right. And that, again, circles back to inflammation. Inflammation and, yeah, depression and, yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's all connected. It really is. Well, and so keto seems to have some promise, which brings Mm -hmm. us back to, like, your initial point about keto. Like, it does really seem to have some promise. However, I think we can't forget that because it is high in fat, that means it's lower in protein, and protein is is very important for your mental wellness. Um, You need those amino acids in protein to help create neurotransmitters. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's important. And then the other thing is because it is so low in carbs, very, very low mm-hmm. in carbs, you're often cutting out a significant amount of even the fruits and vegetables that you would be eating. Particularly the fruits, but even like the low carb vegetables. Like right. people sec- think twice before they eat like broccoli, which is, yeah. you know, a low carb vegetable. Right, exactly. Um, I mean, they're not like eating a bunch of carrots or anything. So, no. Oh, you never eat carrots. Probably. No. Um, but in doing that, in, in cutting out fruits, in really limiting your vegetables, obviously, like forget whole grains here. Again, it goes back to you're missing some of those key vitamins and minerals that are helpful, and you're missing a fair amount of antioxidants, which is yeah. also helpful for yeah. mental wellness. So, like people who have higher have diets that are rich in antioxidants tend to not have as much depression. Yeah. So if you're going to follow keto and, you know. Good luck. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. It just is so hard. A lot of people that try to keep like total carbs or total net carbs to like no more than 20 grams a day or less than 20 net, less than 20 grams of net carbs a day. So I think. If that is your approach to keto, you really just have to try to max out those really low-carb vegetables to get as many and get a variety of those to get as many antioxidants and phytochemicals and fiber as you can. Right. And and because you're eating so much fat, again, we need to go back to fat quality, like oh, yeah. working really hard to get those unsaturated fat sources into your diet yeah and not just going crazy with your saturated fat sources yeah definitely definitely so there's so much we could go into a keto so we already have plans to do a whole episode on keto um because i'm really excited to dive into just more of this um because some of the stuff we looked up today you and i were surprised about yes so i'm excited for that so if y'all have keto questions make sure you go ahead and let us know so just know we're we're going to come back to it exactly we're going to go deeper 
So, all right, what's next on our diet? We want to talk about Tom Brady next. Yeah, we've got Tom Brady, and we have got anti-inflammatory. Let's start with Tom Brady. And uh, let me just say, Tom Brady is essentially Tom Brady's diet, not Tom Brady himself, but Tom Brady's eating approach. I was going to say, I saw him on TV the other day. Is essentially a form of an anti-inflammatory diet. But he has kind of picked several different, combined several different things. So let's just talk about his as on its own. Um, So, and let me tell you this. I read a review of his diet maybe 2017, 2018 um, for Cooking Light. And and then I shared it on my blog. Every month, Briarly, it is one of the highest searched articles. So yes, people are which still is very interested in and his diet. Yeah, I, maybe it's maybe somebody else shared the link on their site that gets a lot more traffic. I don't know. It just always blows my mind, and now I start looking at the reports just to see if it's on there. Yeah, you, you that and celery juice. It's crazy. That yeah. is crazy. Anyway, so Tom Brady's diet. Um, so his approach um, is a little different. It's essentially kind of a combination of anti-inflammatory eating and an alkaline diet, but then he has a heavy, heavy emphasis on eating organic, local, and seasonal. His kind of philosophy is that your body must be fueled properly to support workouts and to minimize inflammation so that you can um, work at your peak performance. So, you know, inflammation is a key thing that he's trying to reduce. And I think he kind of took it to the next level in wanting to reduce inflammation that may stem from heavy training. Um, So his diet, what you can eat, there is major emphasis on vegetables, except for nightshades. We can come back to that. Um, and your nightshades are like your tomatoes and eggplant and bell peppers. So major emphasis on vegetables as well as fruits, whole grains, beans, nuts, seeds, and other plant foods. His eating plan is plant heavy. So about, I think it's about 80% vegetarian. But there is a little bit of meat, poultry, or fish that's included. So that's about 20% though. Um, so significantly less than what's in the average American diet. Right. Um, and... He's again all produce. He specifies should be organic and washed, and meat should be organic, grass fed, free of hormones. Um, fish should be wild caught. Um, and then what's off limits gluten and refined carbs, trans and saturated fats, um, dairy products, excessive salt, nightshades, excessive caffeine and alcohol, processed foods, and added sugars. Um, and then you have to also factor in the alkaline aspect, which is somewhat controversial. He, Brady, says that eating a diet, you should eat a diet that's 80% alkaline, 20% acidic. Um, which, Riley's looking at me over the table as I say this. And that's because this is more of a theory. Um, the theory is based on... Um, we when we consume and burn inner foods for energy they either have an acidic or alkaline effect on the ph in our body and people who are fans of an alkaline diet um, suggest that consuming um, that when you consume acidic foods that essentially turns your ph in your body more acidic and that increases your disease risk so by choosing more alkaline foods your ph stays more 
closer to neutral, and that reduces inflammation and disease risk. There is very little, if any, scientific research to support this at all. Um, and it's really confusing. Like, for example, and I gave an example of this in my article, like, okay, healthy foods like broccoli, carrots, cucumbers, green beans, spinach, sweet potatoes, zucchini. Those are all considered highly alkaline. So Tom Brady can eat those. Mm-hmm. But things like strawberries, pineapple, salmon, beef, chickpeas, walnuts, yogurt, soy, those are highly acidic. So technically we shouldn't be eating those. Yeah. So, you know, from a, like, it was all very confusing to me because from a dietitian standpoint, it makes no sense to me. But there, I want to just say there is... I don't know of any research that supports this because, and I think we would be, I think we're way underestimating our body's capabilities if we think we can control the pH Correct. with our food. Correct. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I mean, and and when I've looked into it in the past, the alkaline diet, that is, yeah. I haven't found anything that's and I, Yeah, I wanted to find, yeah. I would love to find yeah. something because there's a, there is a, I mean, he's not the only one talking about yeah. alkaline. Thank goodness that has died down though. Some it, a few years ago. I'm sh- I, mark mark my words. I'm sure that some young dietitian in about 15 years will be telling me that it's the solution to all of the world's dietary yeah. problems. But um, okay, so what I'm hearing is a lot of restrictions, and you need basically you need a personal chef. Correct, like Tom Brady. Correct. <laughs> feeling i was like oh my gosh you could only do this if you were mega wealthy and have a personal chef i mean the meal planning that would go into yes yeah. i'm doing that eating. no 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 but let me tell anyway. you i mean he is a walking poster boy for wanting to try that he's 44 years old and he yeah. is still playing I mean, yeah professional football i mean he's doing something right but you know is it more that he's eating a clean diet i can't say that it's because he's not eating strawberries because they're acidic that he's doing right. This well. It's probably because he's eating clean diet, and he's eating he's eating predominantly plant based, which yeah. we know is really helpful yeah. when it comes to like long term health, longevity. Um, so, and if he's getting a lot of produce in his diet, I mean the anti inflammatory yeah capabilities there, and, and he surely is taxing his body. Well, the clean the his approach in general, minus the alkaline stuff. Um, and minus some of the stuff like, well, nightshades and dairy. Those are, those vary for people when it comes to inflammatory aspects, um, particularly nightshades. Um, people with autoimmune typically may react to nightshades. But in general, the general population typically can eat nightshades without any problem. Um, or they may have one, like they may not be able to eat eggplant, but they can eat others. But I think... The clean diet is what makes it a very anti-inflammatory approach. And Mm -hmm. that's probably where the bulk of the health benefits stem from. And you're eating lots of produce. You're Mm -hmm. eating healthy fats. Like you said, plant-based. So all of those are kind of, again, similar like what we said last episode with paleo. They're kind of what we've been talking about all past two seasons and what we kind of all need to be eating. Well, and it sounds like if and when he is eating animal protein it's you know it's organic it might even be local it likely i'm gonna guess then is probably like grass-fed or free range or 
And is, how it, realistic, though, is this for people from a finance, not only a time perspective and preparation, but just a financial perspective? Well, and a sourcing perspective. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I found so fascinating about moving to Birmingham was that I got to see a totally different food market because I love grocery shopping. And I can buy, you know, grass-fed ground beef at, you know, at the Publix, which is great. And mm-hmm. I can go over to Whole Foods and get more options. But the reality is, like, we're in a landlocked place. We still get decent seafood. But, I mean, wild-caught yeah, everything, seafood. And, I mean, it's just some – we don't all have access to it, even right. if you eliminate the financial side of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. So – I think his intention is good, and it's evidently working for him. And if you can do this, go for it. I do feel like there's some unnecessary restriction there. Yeah, yeah. And you, I feel like, yeah, and that you could loosen it a tad, and you'd still see the very positive anti-inflammatory effects in the body. Right. I totally agree. That leads us into anti-inflammatory diet. So Exactly. The anti-inflammatory diet, technically there is no official anti-inflammatory diet right but we do know what creates an anti-inflammatory diet and you know no granted i'm biased so just shut me up when i get on this but um i really do feel like inflammation is at the core root of you know every disease and condition from mild to severe that we have going on in this country i mean Every study that you read about a chronic condition right now typically has some mention of some inflammatory marker. Even if they don't look at it in the study, a lot of times they're talking about it in the discussion. The word inflammation is in there somewhere. It is. And that was really my aha moment. I had, I first looked at inflammation when I wrote an article on Alzheimer's. Yeah. And then I was kind of like, okay, whatever. We moved on to different topics. Wrote, you know, we just marked it off my to-do list. Wrote about, you know, fasting, weight loss, you know, what to eat for autoimmune disease. You know, just all these kind of things that, to me, seemed all seemed vastly different. Yeah. And, and when I finally sat down, this was a couple of years ago, when I finally sat down and kind of, like, took a vacation. Like, like <laughs> but a real my, one? Yeah. I started kind of thinking just, you know, about what I'd written and where I kind of wanted I wanted to do next. And it was really, truly like a light bulb moment. I was sitting on the beach. I, I remember distinctly because it was like, wait, all these things that I've been thinking were so different, these health conditions. There's this one underlying thing that's in everyone. And it's in every single research study that I've been looking at over the past year. And it's inflammation. And that was when I was kind of, that's what got me interested in anti-inflammatory diets. And to write a cookbook. But, um... Because I realized we don't really need, like, a heart-healthy diet. We don't need, you know, all all these different diets. Really, everyone needs an anti-inflammatory diet or an approach. Well, and the core to anti-inflammatory diet, which I feel like we need to go over that um, for the people. Yeah. But at the core, like, when you look at DASH, Mm -hmm. Mediterranean, um, even elements of, you know, lower carb and a lot of the other diets that we've been hearing about for years i mean the there are elements of them come out of the anti-inflammatory diet or and i think i think people are probably probably should i probably should have set this up front but 
Mediterranean, DASH, the MIND diet, those are all what I would classify as anti-inflammatory diets. Right. And that is why, and particularly like with Mediterranean, it's that's why you're seeing the very positive, you know, documented health effects. You're seeing those lower lipids and lower blood sugar and lower blood pressure. Those are signs of less inflammation. So the diet is essentially an anti-inflammatory. Yes. But what does that mean? Okay, so I kind of have it broken down into kind of a three-pronged approach just because it's kind of overwhelming when you go through all the research. So this is how and I that's what you do for us. You break it down. Cookbooks um, is um, you know decrease those key inflammatory foods. And the inflammatory ones are what you might expect, Mm -hmm. you know, your highly processed foods, your added sugars, your an excessive amount of saturated fats, trans fats, um, really an excessive amount of anything. I discovered an excessive amount of calories, an excessive amount of carbs, an excessive amount of alcohol, caffeine. Like, again, everything's okay in moderation. But when you go excessive, anything that puts a stress on the body. Right. That's going to cause inflammation. So reducing those and then increasing those anti-inflammatory foods and um, and just increasing whole minimally processed foods in general. But your anti-inflammatory ones, um, kind of the three, the three key that I always first direct people to. Because when people ask me, okay, what do I, where do I need to start? What do I need to do? And usually their first question is, what do I not need to eat? What mm-hmm. should I cut out? And I really try to steer them back to what to start eating. And it says key inflammatory foods. And the three I tell them, because the research is just overwhelming for these three categories of food, but leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables, and your berries. Because the benefits in those, if you can eat those like daily or on a very regular basis, there's powerful benefits in those. Yeah. Um, from an anti-inflammatory perspective. But the other, the third component is nurturing and restoring your gut. That's a huge, huge yeah. part yeah. for inflammation, but also directly for your mental health yeah. as well. Well, and I've added a, that was the first, that was kind of the three breakdown for Meals That Heal, which came out in 2019. But I've got um, a new Meals That Heal cookbook coming out in spring 2022. I've had a fourth component to that that really kind of addresses the mental health component, but it's, um, you know, reducing those lifestyle inflamers, your stress, Mm -hmm. your lack of sleep, you know, those kind of things. Um, Because really, those go hand in hand with the diet stuff. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. So that's essentially what an anti-inflammatory diet is even though I know people like very specific recommendations. But. They do, but again, like even going back to what we said in the in the part one of mm-hmm. this, like when we were talking about Weight Watchers, like the nice part about anti-inflammatory is that it gives you flexibility and adaptability yeah. so that you can make it work for your lifestyle and you're not going to dinner with a bunch of friends and saying, oh, I can't eat anything yeah. here, you know, or staying at home cooking all of your meals because you can't, make it work for your lifestyle like that's the best part about it and that I think is really empowering and then when you look at the fact that hey I can invest in something that I can execute like my own diet and I know that it has many different effects on my body you know it's good for my physical body it's good for my mental health as well like you you kind of can't go wrong there well 
And here's the other thing that it was so, when I had that light bulb moment that I also realized that was so powerful to me because I realized this isn't just like for middle-aged people or like, yeah, you know, maybe you, your blood pressure is a little hot, you know, this would, is good for kids. Yeah. And that's what I, and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like. I wonder if I could really get my kids eating more of an anti-inflammatory diet or an approach to eating, you know, incorporate that at our family dinner table, how might I potentially be able to change their health in 30 to 40 years? Right. You know? Yeah. That was what was so powerful to me. Like, it really has benefits for all ages. And I know in an upcoming episode, we're going to talk about teen mental health. But, um, you know... It really is applicable to everybody and every age. Well, and if you're like me who sometimes gets a little frustrated when you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't influence them now just for 30 years from now. Like, how about influencing them today for tomorrow? The cool part is that kids eating an anti-inflammatory diet is great for them now, too. I mean, it's great for their developing minds. Oh, right. Definitely. Definitely. So, but the, And I just layer that in because I am the type of person who's like, I would love to help them be better humans down the line, but I'm also really worried about the human that they're going to be tomorrow. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I definitely mean that. Uh, yeah. That's applicable, too. And I have definitely seen that with my kids on a daily basis yeah. as we try to do it more, or the difference that it can make. Small changes. I'm not going to say we eat perfect at all. But, no, no. But, you no. know, just, Outside. you know, making a point to cut out most of those key inflamers on a regular basis. Yeah. So, okay. Does that wrap us up? I think it does. I think that we have now covered anti-inflammatory, Tom Brady, Brady. keto, and low carb and you can go back and listen to part one where we covered Weight Watchers, Noom, Paleo, and Whole30. Perfect. And let us know what other diets you want to hear about or what questions you have about keto because we are going to circle back and focus a whole episode on keto. We will may even do a whole episode on um, low carb. Um, the good and bad qualities of a low-carb diet for mental wellness. So let us know what questions you have, what you want covered, because um, we really do use all this input to kind of help us plan out episodes. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for the Happy Eating Podcast. I'm Briarly Horton. And I'm Carolyn Williams. If you liked this week's episode, then don't forget to rate and leave us a review on iTunes. And be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a new episode. We can't wait to have you back at our table next week for a brand new episode. Bye! Bye. The contents discussed in the Happy Eating Podcast, such as advice, studies, text, graphics, images, and other material discussed or presented on the site or podcast are for informational purposes only. Content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the Happy Eating Podcast. If you are in crisis or think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 8255, to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you are located outside the United States, call your local emergency line immediately.